like I said before, in our times of, uh, during the, the sermon portion of our, our worship together, we've been working our way through Genesis. And we've, we've been seeing uh, the unfolding of God's great mission of rescue and restoration. And we've been learning a lot about the character of the God who would pursue us as humanity has rebelled against Him. Um, we've seen and learned a lot about His character, His love, His graciousness, His mercy. We've also been learning a lot about ourselves uh, and how we factor into this great mission, both seeing our need for rescue and, and restoration, but also our, uh, our part we can play in that ongoing mission. And today we continue that, that study. Uh, this morning, actually, uh, it's again, um, as we've seen, uh, uh, another passage and section where we're getting more insight into our, our hearts as humans and seeing more our need for this great, this great mission of rescue and restoration. This morning we'll be in chapter 10 and 11 of Genesis. Um, I believe uh, if you're following along in one of the Bibles there in front of you, I think it's on um, page 7. That's where you'll, you'll find it. And we, were, uh, we looked a little bit at chapter 10 last week. And uh, so we'll, we'll also be looking there. We're mainly going to focus on uh, verses 1 through 9 in chapter 11. But we'll be referring back to, to some of the stuff in chapter 10. And so as I'm reading this morning, I'll just highlight some of those portions from 10. Um, but we'll, we'll pick up on some more of that as we get into what we're looking at in chapter 11. Uh, so if you would, follow along with me as we hear from, from God's Word for us this morning. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. He goes on and he, he outlines some of the descendants from these particular sons. And then Moses says in verse 5, From these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Again, Moses outlines some of the descendants and nations that came from these particular sons. And we pick up in verse 20. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder son, or the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. Moses continues that pattern of tracing out some of these descendants. Uh, and he says, These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their lands, or their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now, continuing in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, uh, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, 
lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And Yahweh said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh dispersed them from there over the face of, the all, of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there Yahweh confused the language of all the earth, and from there Yahweh dispersed them over the face of all of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have been pleased to reveal yourself in a a special way through your scripture. We thank you that it is the very word of God. It is not uh, just the, the mere words of man. It is not myth, but it is in fact history, in fact. Uh, It is your revelation of your mighty acts and your work and your character to us. We pray that you would use that. Holy Spirit, uh, apply your word to our hearts. Change us. Uh, Move us more to to Jesus. Conform us more and more into the image of the Son of God. And may Christ be glorified through us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we've been working through Genesis, we've seen several accounts like this where uh, there's some sort of activity or action that man undertakes, and then we see God's response to their their action, their activity. Um, and a lot of times we've seen it involves God's displeasure. But what we've seen as we've gone through this is we've seen God's character is trustworthy. He's good, he's fair, he's just. Who we're seeing we can't really trust is, is man. So that should help guide us as we enter into this passage to understand what's going on. Because at first, it may seem like, what's the big deal here? Why is it such a problem that these people are building a city and building a tower? Did not God call them to take dominion? And are they not doing that by by developing and taking natural resources and using them to build and and make this city? Uh, What is going on? Well, let's see if we can find a little bit of insight into the heart of man and what they're they're doing here and their their motivations. Notice in verse uh, verse. This is one and following. The whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. This is their rationale. Lest uh, Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So, the reason they're starting out to build this city and this tower is because they're wanting to avoid being dispersed over the face of the earth. Why? What's, what's going on here? I, I don't know if you remember back in 
in Genesis chapter 1, when God created Adam and Eve, He said this to them. Uh, In verse 28 of chapter 1, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Part of God's original design and intention for mankind and His command was for them to fill the earth and to to go out and be spread uh, around. We saw that didn't change in light of the fall and even when uh, God entered into this covenant with with Noah and all of creation, God reiterates that same command in chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, Again, he says it in verse 7. And you all, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. Uh, God is saying, look, part of what I've created you to do and part of what it looks like for you to glorify and obey me involves you spreading out around all of the earth. But for some reason, man has decided, as remember that these are the descendants of, of, of Noah, all of them have gathered together, and they're saying, you know what? I don't want to do that. It's not in my best interest, it seems, what they're saying. It's not in my best interest to glorify and obey God. So we need to go about doing it uh, another way. Um, uh, notice the purpose and intention and part of what they were doing is they're, they're spreading and, and going out around the world. But remember, they're made in the image of God. So as they spread and go forth, God's fame is growing, is being spread. His, his character is being should have been demonstrated in the world. But man, again, not only is it their motivation is uh, obeying and glorifying God really isn't in my best interest, so I want to avoid doing that by building this, this city and this tower. Notice also what they're aiming to do uh, in verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Instead of being dispersed out to make a name great for God, what we want to do is we want to stay here. We want to make a name for ourselves. See, it seems more of what's going on is not only is there this this mistrust of of God and this confidence in their own decision-making, but they're seeming to say, you know what? We're more important than He is. It's more important that our name be spread out And we make a name for ourselves than it is us obeying and glorifying God and making Him great. In fact, you see them uh, advance even past that. Remember what they're trying to do is they're trying to build this tower with its top in the heavens. It's as if what they're trying to do is saying, we're just going to take God's place because we know better. We're more important. So why not build a tower that reaches up there so that we can advance to where he is. Um, I don't know if any of you know of the social media website Pinterest. Pinterest is this uh, site where you can find different recipes and crafts and all sorts of things and that you're interested in that you want to attempt yourself um, and uh, 
goals that you have for yourself and other people have shown how they've done it and you can find things that you like. You can pin them on there. Other can, people can see what you're doing and you can attempt to do these, uh, these, these things yourself. But I don't know if any of you have ever done anything off of Pinterest, but it doesn't always go like you think it should go. Uh, in fact, I have a few pictures up here to show, uh, show some of them. I don't know if you can see. Uh, there's a, a, there's a, a set of these things going around. It's uh, about these Pinterest fails, and sarcastically they're saying people nailed it. They really got it, they got it down in their attempts. So these are Cookie Monster cupcakes. They were supposed to look like the top one, but apparently they really nailed it in their, their attempt to do it them, themselves. Uh, there's a few others. We just have a, a three of them. Here's a here's a minion, a minion cake that was attempted. The fondant, uh, I'm guessing, got a little out of out of order, but it looks like they really uh, they really nailed it, huh? There's one one more. This is this is an aerial cake. Um, yeah, it, you start looking at these and you're like, this this is really it's ridiculous. Uh, it, Maybe the people who, who attempted to do these things had a, um, uh, misevaluated their own skills and abilities in order, that they had in order to be able to carry these things out. Um, once you begin to look at the product of what they're producing, you realize how foolish and ridiculous it was for them to even attempt this to begin with. Um, in this passage, we kind of see Moses, way back in the day, doing... This, in fact, you might could see uh, his telling of this account here as as him even putting when man attempts to take the place of God, nailed it. Look at look at how he he says. Remember what they're attempting to do. They're building this tower up to heavens. They think they they are more important. They know what is 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 best. What's in their best interest. But look in verse five. And Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So God's saying, all right, let me see the work of your hands, this great and mighty tower. And in order to see it, Moses is saying, God had to come down. They thought they had the place of importance, that they are the ones who should be ruling and understanding things. But Moses is saying, look at this great attempt you have made. You've nailed it. You've failed horribly. It's, it's so ridiculous and foolish that you would even attempt to do this, that this great act of trying to take the place of God, to put yourself in a place of importance and significance, of rule and reign in this kingdom that is really His, that He had to come down to see what it is that you have done Moses is highlighting and underscoring how ridiculous it is for humanity to, to take the action of trying to take God's place. Where in our lives have we experienced how foolish it is to attempt to do this? As we look back in our lives, would we be able to look back and say, Nailed it as we attempt to do this very same thing. Um, where do we think that it's 
really not in our best interest to seek to obey and glorify God? Where do we think we know better of how we should live our lives, of what should be going on in this world? Just, let's just think about a few of just God's, God's commands. What about the Sabbath? Do we think that it's not in our best interest to follow and glorify God when He calls us that we need to have a day of worship and rest and restoration? Do we think that we know better than He? And it's not really in our best interest to pursue a day like, like that. Or this call God gives us to forgive others. It's really not in my best interest to do that. And this whole idea of, of confessing and seeking reconciliation with people that have hurt me, that's definitely not in my best interest. And in fact, if some of these things, God, that you're calling me to, to do, to be generous with the things that you've given me, to, to make a name for you through evangelism, through sharing the, the good news of Christ with others, of, of living a good a life that reflects the, the beauty of our God in this world, a lot of times we're, we can begin to think, you know what? It's going to cost too much. Uh, it may mean that, uh, that I, I end up having to be put in a place that's risky, that's outside of my control. It's not in my best interest to pursue and glorify you in that way because really who I'm more confident in and trust is me to handle the situation, for me to be in control, to, for me to be the ruler. And a lot of things, God, that you're calling me to do, to go out into your world to obey and glorify you, really could cost me my reputation. Um, it could cost me uh, my name and my significance within my community, within my family, within my job. Um, you're not worth it, God. Uh, it'd be much better for me to take the throne, for me to assume this rule. Moses is wanting us to see here and to reflect on the foolish, how foolish this is, how ridiculous it is for us to attempt to do that, especially in light of all that we've seen of God up to this point. But in order for that to happen, it's going to, for us to move from rebelling against God and trying to take His place and assume His, his place in this world, uh, it's going to take a, a reorientation of our lives. It's going to uh, mean that we have to put off building our kingdom, building our city, in order to pursue His purposes and His kingdom. Isn't isn't that what we see in this, in this passage? Look, as, as Moses goes on in verse 5 and following, Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And Yahweh said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down, and they are confused their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh dispersed them from over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Uh, at first, 
you know, as God begins to take this action to move the people off of building this city, of them attempting this ridiculous action of trying to take his, his place, it says this in verse 6, And Yahweh said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Why is God taking this response? What, what is he experiencing as, as he sees humanity do this? We may think, well, is God intimidated? Is he fearful of what man will accomplish? Is that why he's saying what he says? Nothing will be impossible for them. So we have to go down and confuse their language. Well, that can't be it. We've just seen God's not intimidated and fearful of man at all. I mean, he had to come down to see their ridiculous effort at trying to take his place. What is God up to here? What is he doing? Remember what man is doing here. Instead of uh, dispersing out and filling the, the earth with God's glory, they've united together as one and said that collectively as humanity, we are going to rebel against our God. We're going to stop doing what he has called us to do and the purposes that he has given us in this world, and we're going to do our own thing. God says, of that action, look, they all have one language, they're one people, intent on rebelling against me, and intent on throwing off my good creational intentions and purposes for them, if they continue, nothing will be impossible. And they will move further and further and further away and further throw off the good purposes I've given for them. And they'll go further and further into destruction. That is what will not be impossible for them. God's response here is what he's really doing is he's minimizing their ability to rebel. God's saying, look, I'm not going to let you be as bad as you could and as you should be. I'm going to prevent you from going further and further into rebellion and completely distorting totally and twisting everything around. What kind of gracious God is this that the action He takes is this restorative action to put man back in his place. Man is seeking to take God's place in ridiculous action. God is taking a restorative action to put man into his place. And look at the, look at the results in 8 and 9. They stop building their tower and they are dispersed. So Yahweh dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. They left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the, Yahweh confused their language of all the earth. And from there, Yahweh dispersed them over the face of the earth. In light of this restoring judgment of God, mankind must begin to fulfill a portion of their created purpose in filling the earth. In this, though, what else do we see God bring about in it? New language is brought in. We, we saw through, uh, throughout chapter 10, uh, this repeated refrain of all these nations that descend from, uh, from the sons of, of Noah. Uh, all these nations come about. This, uh, if we're thinking chronologically, some of the events of, of chapter 11 
fall within what's being recounted in chapter 10. Um, but these are the nations that are created, and it tells us over and over again, they spread to their lands. They each had their own languages, their own clans, their own nations. God also, in doing this, is not only is he spreading them out around the earth, but he's bringing in beautiful diversity and creativity. Think about how you have experienced this, if any of you like to eat other places other than American restaurants. How incredible foods are from other countries and cultures. The, the flavors that they bring, even the smells and the look of the food, even the way you experience eating a meal in other cultures can show us insight into the beauty of, of God and who He is, at the creativity of other people. Not just in food, but think about language and how certain languages are able to communicate certain things in ways that maybe English don't all the time. Even when we, a lot of times when we're translating the Bible, sometimes it's hard to uh, encompass what is being said in, uh, in the, the Hebrew or the Greek in our, our English. We stumble through it sometimes. Or music, art, dress. God is saying, look, not only am I going to spread you out and, and cause you to do what I've called you to do, in doing this, God brings in more beauty and diversity, which further reflects his goodness and his care and his creativity within uh, in creation. Mankind is, as we're spread out to do and be where we're supposed to be, uh, God's glory is reflected. Uh, I've been watching some stuff recently on the national parks within the the U.S. And um, an event happened in Yellowstone back in 1995 where wolves were reintroduced to where they were supposed to be within Yellowstone. I have a clip of it. I think it, it'll help us understand a little more about what's going on. So uh, hopefully it'll work here this time. We've had trouble with this stuff in the past. One of the most exciting scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we, we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years, but the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park, and despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. 
First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes, and as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. Bears fed in it too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. But here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More ripple sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transform not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. One, as we watch this, I'm just struck at the greatness and the design of God and how his world functions and works together. It is absolutely amazing to see how everything is tied together. Uh, but to, to think, all right, here, wolves being reintroduced and brought into where they're supposed to be have this drastic change on life. They bring life within the Yellowstone Park. Uh, re renewal, restoration begins to occur when these creatures are brought into their proper place of function and they're, they're, they're brought to do what they're supposed to do. So let's think about this. If that's true of wolves in Yellowstone... How much more so would that be true of humanity? 
the pinnacle of God's creation, those that God has called and said, you are the ones who I'm putting here in my image to rule in my place under my authority, to demonstrate my glory and to care for creation as I care for you and as I care for creation. How much more so would renewal and restoration happen? See, this is what God is telling humanity to do. Trust me. My good rules, my intentions, my purposes for you. This is how humanity should properly function. Trust me and see the goodness of my character. Don't doubt me. You wouldn't do nothing if you try to put yourself in the, in the, on the throne and exalt your own kingdom. It will result in your destruction and your suffering. But when you follow and you seek and you pursue me, it will result in life, renewal, restoration. Remember, this is what mankind was supposed to do. Remember when God planted the garden in Eden? It was just Eden, and outside was wilderness. And mankind's job was to expand the beauty and God's little place of kingdom where humanity fellowshiped in unbroken relationship with God and one another and with creation to the extent of the world. God here is calling And in his goodness and his kindness, really forcing humanity in our fallen state to begin to practice a portion of what he created. And forcing humanity to go out into the world. God in his mercy is saying, look, it's not going to be as bad as it could be. And it should be. But I'm going to make you begin to do some of what I've called you to do. Why did he do this? Why not just wipe them out? They're in Shinar. That's between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Strategically, it would have been a great place for God just to bring more water up out of both rivers and wipe them out in the, in the valley. But no. What do we see in response to this great rebellion? The king says, I'm going to show you mercy and I'm going to show you grace. You might be like, well, hold on, hold on. The whole reason these wolves were not where they were supposed to be is because mankind was messing it up. We hunted them to near extinction. Did it really get any better when God spreads everybody out? At least when they were right there, they were localized. Now, as they go out, sin goes with them. I don't know if you, this doesn't really relate to... protecting creation, but if you ever had a spider in your house, you've stepped on it, but then all of a sudden, it's like thousands of little baby spiders shoot out everywhere. It's like, what was I thinking? Why did I do that when it's carrying the little babies on its back? Did God just do that and make the problem worse? And not just, I mean, now these destructive, rebellious sinners, now their languages are confused. And we know that what the result of that has been. Nation rises up against nation. Not only does diversity come, but division comes. Sin begins to spread. And now, God, how are you going to bring about your promises? Because remember what we've seen is God's, God's work of redemption is as large as the scope of all of His creation. Is He given up on this here? Because remember what we saw 
last week with what God was, his, the, the curse that Noah gave to Canaan, he spoke blessing to Shem. One of the things that he said to Shem was, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Shem. Is God here saying, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give you all of these, these languages. I'm going to spread it out. Um, now I'm just going to focus on one nation. I'm only going to be the God of this one nation and this one race, and I'm not really concerned with the rest of people knowing me. I mean, how is that renewal and restoration going to occur? Because obviously humanity just spreading out in the world, that's not complete restoration. Our hearts need to be renewed. We need to be restored in our relationship with God. And just being spread out doesn't bring us closer to God. How will these other nations know? How will they know? If communication is difficult, how will they come to know Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God? Has He given up? How will this great mission of rescue and restoration move forward? It seems like God's made it more difficult. Next week, we're gonna, we'll see what God's plan is. How is he going to move forward? It's going to involve calling one person. We'll look at that. But I want to get us a sneak peek of where God is headed. God has not abandoned his purposes. Remember, we, we see this repeated refrain here. In verse 5 of chapter 10, their lands, languages, clans, nations. Again, down in verse 20, uh, their clans, languages, lands, nations. In verse 31, their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Uh, if you look in, flip your Bible forward to the book of Revelation, a peek at the, the end of the story, where it's, where it's going, God's goals, His intentions, the whole time, where is this headed? In chapter 5, of the book of Revelation, beginning in verse 9, John is giving us a, a picture of uh, what's going on in, uh, in God's throne room in, in heaven. It says this, these who are gathered around God's throne, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That tribe, language, people, and nation, the wording there is very, very, very similar to what we see going on in that, uh, that collection, that role of nations in chapter 10. God is saying, you know what? I'm not abandoning my plan of rescue and restoration. And my goal is to redeem and restore all things and to work out where everything has been affected by sin. All of these nations that don't know me will come to know me because I will redeem a people from them, from every land and tribe and tongue and language. They will find redemption and hope in Jesus. And notice also the result is they will become a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. <laughs> you see, when we're restored and reunited to God, 
we're brought back into our proper functioning of Him as our King, we experience our restoration as being image bearers and ruling in His place on this earth. All of it being restored. Even greater than Yellowstone. What will that be like? What will better than Yellowstone be? What will this world better than even Adam experienced it be like when the world is full of those who are seeking the glory of their God? They're seeking to obey and glorify Him. You see, there's two things. Remember, Babel is what they're building. Babel is going to be the, the city that it ebbs and flows throughout Scripture, but then the, the nation of Babylon is going to arise from that. And through, throughout Scripture, Babylon is, uh, is used as shorthand for describing humanity and our rebellion against God. Our attempts to set up our own kingdom over against Him. That's what we see happening here in a little picture. It's going to go on and on throughout, throughout Scripture. And in Revelation... John also mentions Babylon. Babel, Babylon comes back up. But there, what you experience is what God shows us is that when humanity continues to rebel against Him and we don't seek to come before the one who can actually care, take care of our sins, it will result in judgment. God will ultimately punish those who rebel against Him because His kingdom will be established. What we see here is we have two things on offer. We can continue our ridiculous attempts to put ourselves in God's place. The result will be this foolishness, this ridiculousness, and it will not result in the life that we think it will. It will ultimately end up resulting in separation from God from ever, forever, our judgment and our destruction. But God in His mercy offers this other option. This promised one that He gave us in Genesis 3, the offspring who would come, who would establish God's kingdom forever, who would defeat the evil one and work back the effects of sin. He has come. And His goal and His work is that those, regardless of what nation you've come from, regardless of what race you've come from, regardless of what tongue you speak, when you look and call out to Jesus, He hears you, and he will respond with mercy and with life and restoration. Who do you really trust? Do you really have confidence and trust in yourself that you are a better ruler than God? Or do we all see the foolishness that it is to try to live life apart from him? And will we respond to the hope and promises that we have of total renewal? of total rescue, of total life, when we submit to Jesus, our true King, who suffered and died in our place to establish His kingdom and to bring us into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have not abandoned Your great mission. We thank You that You are a gracious God and we see that Your commands for us are good. They're for our best interest. May we respond appropriately and respond to the, con the command to repent and to look and to turn to you, to hope in you and follow you. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have not abandoned your promises. 
And we thank you that one day, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be singing the praises and the glories of our great redeeming God. In Christ's name, amen.